In this lesson, we're going to talk about communicating the gospel. How do you decide a method or a style of sharing your faith? I think there are lots of factors to consider, and perhaps there are even several methods. You may be better at one or the other or several. But beginning, I thought it would be good to just consider some of the ways we see in the Bible that people used in communicating the gospel. Looking at the life of Jesus, we see that he had many friends and a very relational ministry, although he spoke to crowds as well. But lots of times he spoke one-to-one. We think of his meeting with Nicodemus or his meeting with the Samaritan woman or the young lawyer that he spoke to. There are so many. But also we're aware that when Jesus met different people, he told stories or met a particular need in their lives. Philip also was a person who met someone, someone he had never seen before. So sometimes in evangelism we have opportunities just happened by a person we just are with who we perhaps have never known before, like the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip met and shared with. And then Peter had an unusual ministry of cross-cultural, meeting non-Jewish people and sharing Christ. He also worked with a woman who was a woman who was serving and working with people, Dorcas. It was a very kind of practical thing, healing and bringing her back to life. And then we have many examples of things that Paul did. Paul sometimes was in various situations, like speaking the gospel in prison, or he was confronting people on Mars Hill, having dialogues or confrontations with people who had very strong, different views. He used very intellectual styles and spoke in Greek and explained things. He also preached in Rome and also used his testimony as he witnessed to Christ and shared before kings and rulers. Yes, there are many different ways that you can do it, and it doesn't make one method right and the other methods wrong. Or, but what it does is some methods fit certain situations and they have different values, strengths, and weaknesses. Proclamation is a great method when you want to speak to large numbers of people or as the word comes from broadcasting, spreading out the seed widely and then you will have a ministry on a smaller scale afterwards. Proclamation has a certain weakness is that you're not able to know sometimes the people that you're proclaiming to because it's a larger number. Or also, you're the only speaker, so the people listening aren't able to interact with you. Confirmation, confrontation is another method which lots of times some of us avoid because we're not into arguments or other people find it easy to get into and maybe the argument becomes uh, even a wrong kind of an argument. But it is possible in dealing with topics and apologetics or polemics that we will be confronting people who have wrong views and challenging. And it certainly was a method that happened many times in the scripture. But it doesn't mean 
that it's the only method, again, as we're looking to be able to see which methods fit which situations. Dialogue is a very lovely method. It's like can be very much like a conversation, or it can be a very formal dialogue. But dialogue is good because it always has interaction. You're able to speak, and people are able to answer. There's a kind of confrontation, but on a general level or an accepting level, where you try to answer each other honestly, at least hopefully so. But debate is a stronger form of dialogue, generally where you get in very serious discussions or or even topics that are more difficult to address. And this is often used in the apologetics and in the polemic things. <clears throat> then there are tent-making methods where you are in a job or you're doing something else, but your presence is there and opportunities will happen for you to speak and opportunities for you to be seen living as a Christian. Sometimes this one has been talked about being the presence of Christ in another place, uh, which sounds very good, but if it's only a presence that doesn't speak, it won't be communicating because actions don't always in themselves express clearly what the message is. So there's always a need for communication with this method. <clears throat> then there is another method that's quite popular is to be contextualization, making the gospel fit into a different cultural pattern. Actually, the gospel already came in another cultural pattern, and some of us as Westerners have had to understand Eastern patterns to understand some of the context of our scriptures. But contextualization presents a number of problems. You can only contextualize into a small representative group of people. Like you can't just say, I'm going to contextualize the message to fit Morocco. There are too many kinds of people. So you have to contextualize to the women's group who are business women in Casablanca or to the country ladies who live in the Berber villages. It will be reduced down to a certain group and a certain uh, area. And quite often this also raises the question of trying to become Moroccan or become North African. And it's so easy to put on the clothes and look, but it's quite different for our minds to really become able to think in that Middle Eastern culture and the thought patterns. The clothes don't make us uh, contextualize fully. We, it takes quite a long time to begin to understand the other culture. But it still means that we who come from the West have concerns that when we communicate the message, we communicate the actual message of the scripture and not the colorings of our own culture, which for many times are hard for us to even know that we have them. But then the last one to mention in this list is friendship evangelism. It was a very popular term for a long time, I make friends, and then I can share Christ with my friends once they begin to trust me. But I've had the occasion where a number of people have come to me and said, oh, I have made friends. I have several friends, but now I'm terrified to share Christ because if I tell them, they'll reject Christ and reject me, and I won't have a friend anymore. But actually, that's a bit somehow gone wrong because if you have a friend, genuine friend, 
and you just love the person because you love him and they are glad to be your friend just because they are with no strings attached, then genuine friendship accepts that they would want to know who you really are. You're not a Christian hiding from them or a secret person waiting to bring something on them. You generally are who you are and from the beginning you will always be somehow revealing your identity so that you wouldn't build up some sort of false friendship and then think, how can I tell them who I really am? So friendship evangelism is relational and a very ideal way, but we need to be conscious of the fact that we are caring for them as a whole person and we would want to tell them what we know. And if you're aware of your friend not knowing about eternal life, you wouldn't want to not tell her something. And I found with my Arab friends that if you approach it in the right way, that you have something to tell them. Uh, There's a way to say it, difficult things. I would like to tell you something, and sometimes I think you wouldn't like to hear it, but I wouldn't want to not tell you because then I would be keeping some truth from you, something that I'm really concerned about. So I will hopefully not upset you too much when I begin to tell you how I believe the Lord Jesus is the unique person and that he really is the Savior. And just so how you say it has a lot more to do with it also, especially in that culture where the manner of speaking is so important and the style, and then the words will be accepted. But of course, there will be times when you're not accepted. This is part of the message of the gospel and the cross will offend people. But thinking of friendship evangelism, one of the things that happens a lot in friendship evangelism that I've been involved in is that we use everyday normal events to share Christ. If you use lots of holidays, I don't know what holidays you celebrate as a Christian. How is your faith and your belief celebrated? What festivals fit in your yearly events of your life? Do these events help you in growing in Christ? Are they really important? Or are they just things that happen? Can you not see them as having an even special role and inviting your Muslim friends to participate and come to them? Most cultures do have these events all out during the year, and they are part of the person's life. But also there are events like birthdays, and the birth of children, and marriages, and graduation. There are all sorts of events in our cycle of life that we share with one another, and they too can be shared with our Muslim friends. Which part of your life would you like to share, and which events, especially now the event called Nowruz, the 21st of March, is coming up. Many of the Iranian friends will have large parties and celebrate Nowruz. It's a time to share Nowruz with other people, and, and the message of the gospel can be given at those events. I'm just thinking of the, all the Islamic calendar and all the events that happen. There's the New Year's events. The first month of the year is a New Year's event, and the days are very special for the, our Shiite friends, the Iranians, have lots of events and special days during Muharram, which 
maybe strikes you as rather strange festival. It's the festival when they celebrate the death of Hussein, one of the early imams, and how he was killed by the other people and made such a disgrace. And so each year, out of sympathy for him, there is a kind of very vicarious atonement for all that happened and his sufferings. And people march through the streets, beating themselves and suffering the suffering of Hussein and having some sort of atonement feeling about what happened. And they would invite you to come along and celebrate through the Mahadam and understand about someone could suffer for someone else. In Sunni tradition, this idea is absolutely not possibly to happen. They says in the Quran something about you carry and bear your own sins. But in the Shiite tradition, it is possible for another person to suffer or bear the sins of another. So it gives you a chance to explain the amazing thought that Jesus would bear our sins, that he would suffer for us. Some of the other months, the second month, doesn't have very special holidays, but then it comes the time of the birthday of the prophet and to celebrate uh, things like that. Then the fourth months and the other months are the months of spring and various ventures. But then we come to uh, the months before Ramadan. Shaban is the month in which you clean your house and get purified and make everything ready for fasting. And then the fast of Ramadan. Quite often I found my Muslim friends always invite us to the fast so that you can think about the ideas of fasting and how Christians fast. And then you have the, the two different holidays of the what's sometimes called the little feast or the breakfast feast because it comes right after Ramadan. And then the big feast because it's the sacrifice, the larger, the dulahaj, when people go to Mecca and also sacrifice the sheep. So we used to try to make uh, celebrations and things on those days. Whenever the Muslims were having holidays, we were always either participating in helping them or having them visit us during the holiday time. Because when people are free, there's plenty of time to talk and chat about many things. But then for us as Christians, how do you use the Christian calendar? Uh, you have number of days during the Advent. We always had special things during the months, the Sundays and weeks that come before Christmas talking about preparation, preparing for the coming of Jesus. And then the Christmas holiday, many times people will come. One of my friends, when she came to live in the UK, we went to the school to help her register her children. And it was a church school. And she said to the people, well, of course, my children won't participate in anything. We're Muslims. And the school official said, that's fine. Everyone's welcome to participate or not to participate. That'll be just fine. And we were registering the children. And as we walked away, she said, yes, I don't want them to participate in Christmas. After all, we don't believe in all that. And I think that would be awful. It wasn't too long after that when on my usual coffee morning with her, she said, we can't meet for coffee today. I said, well, something else come up because she often had hospital visits. She said, oh, no, we have to go to the school. And then a sheepish look came on her face, and she said, you know, Sabrina, she's playing Mary. And Mohammed, he's one of the shepherds. And I don't know what it is that the Omar's in, but he's in something. They're all taking part, and they're singing. We must go. 
And so off I went, laughing to myself. I thought they weren't participating, but most of the children do anyway. And most of them, and the parents, and all the Muslim moms and dads were all there listening to their children in the Christmas story. And I had a wonderful time with another family during the Christmas event. She has triplets, and the three girls were in the Christmas play. And I went to the play, and they were just wonderful, and they knew all their parts, and they sang a song, There's No Room in the Inn. And, they, and I just thought about the song a bit. And then on the way home, one of the girls said, Do you know that song? I don't understand it. Because, Mommy, if Jesus came to London, why did they turn him away? Because they all sing this song. And she said, I find it so strange, Mommy, don't you? The English people sing about no room for Jesus. And yet every year they celebrate his birthday. What doesn't fit together, Mommy? What's wrong? How come they don't want him, but they have a holiday for him? And we were sort of almost laughing because her mom, they're from Beirut, and she said, No, Rose, Jesus never came to London. Oh, you sure, Mommy? That's what the teacher must have said. No, I think she just forgot to tell you. He was in Bethlehem. He was in Palestine, Mommy. Oh, so he came there, and they turned him away. Oh, that's good, and the English didn't do it. Oh, we're still having a little laugh. And then she said, but mommy, if he came to me, I would have said, Jesus, come in. I won't turn you away. She was about seven or eight years old, and the Christmas story was very meaningful. And so she could understand some of it, even though she had it a bit mixed up. And then we celebrate Epiphany and the coming of the wise men, but also celebrating Lent. That's another time for us to talk about fasting, a positive kind of fasting. Maybe you don't think that it's a good idea, or maybe you have another tradition. I think it's quite good to think of something positive to do during that month that you never do any other time. can be something special or a special time to read different portions of the Bible. Christian Muslim friends have said to me, we don't know when Christians fast because you can't see them fast. Ramadan is a social event. It's a community fast. But if you read the Bible, fasting is in secret, so they haven't seen it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it. And I do remember one other young person who has become a Christian and one day they were talking how wonderful it is to be a Christian. And guess what? If you're a Christian, you never have to fast again. And I said, oops, <laughs> maybe somebody failed to tell you something. The Bible does say we fast. No, it's not the fast of Ramadan, but there is fasting and things that we do, even though we're not supposed to do it publicly or brag about it. And then, of course, we have Easter and Ascension and Pentecost. I had a great time once at the university because Pentecost is a European holiday, even for non-Christians. And so I went to school on the Pentecost Monday, and my students said, oh, what are you doing here? It's your holiday. And I had sort of forgotten about it because I wasn't from the French tradition. And I said, no, I don't think it's my holiday. And they said, oh, yes, it is. It's something about the Spirit. Tell us about who the Spirit is and what he does and when he came. 
And they said, anyway, we're not going to study. All the French teachers are absent, and you should have stayed home too. But since you're here, tell us who the Holy Spirit is. So anyway, in spite of the fact that I wasn't sure exactly what I should be doing in my English class, giving a talk on the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't a class since they were not ready to study. We spent a long time having a discussion as to who the Holy Spirit was. And so I'd found a way to use Pentecost that was quite profitable, even if I hadn't expected to. But I think it's good for us to use our personal things and our family things to invite people to, because if our family things are centered on Christ, we would celebrate our birthdays and talking about things of the Lord, our parties and our educational events, or different rites of passage. Quite frequently, people have a special birthday on their 18th or their 21st. There are times when our friends would come together. How It would be a great challenge to invite our Muslim friends to come too and to learn how Christians celebrate these events. And of course, they're quite happy to come to Christian marriages The other thing is I found that it might seem rather strange. Another time when you can share your faith and have many opportunities is going at the time of death. Personally, for me, I was expected to come to a dinner party when I had a phone call that my mother had died. And, of course, I began to make preparation to go to the States, and I called my friends to tell them that I wouldn't be coming to the dinner And then she asked me some questions, and she started to get, oh, I'm so upset for you. You'll never see your mother again. And I don't know that just without thinking hardly, the Lord prompted me to say, but I will. And she said, how can you see your mother again? She's gone. And then I said, because I believe that our mother will be in heaven, and I'm absolutely sure I'll see her again. And though I'm quite upset, and it's not easy to go to the funeral to bury your parent, but I have a hope, and I'm really not just a hope, but a hope that's sure, and I will see my mother again. I said, I'll tell you about it when I came back. And when I came back, the first day or so, she called me up, and I went to her home, and she said, tell me, how is it that you know that you could see the people again? Nobody knows that. And so even through what might seem unusual things to talk, talking about and witnessing, The death opened the door to share that with death is only the beginning of real life. And I know my dad used to always say, well, I haven't lived yet. What I mean is I'm only going to really live when I get to heaven. So it is about life and it is a chance to share these things. So you can be thinking about how you want to communicate. What parts of your life will you be happy to share? Can you plan a party, a party to share your faith? Uh, it might seem a rather unusual thing to do. But I think parties and festivals have, are part of our life. There were many festivals in the Old Testament in order to they could remember what the Lord had done. So let's put them back in our lives and use them with our friends. 